Katie, what's up? Hey, Jesse, so you're familiar with Substack, right? <laughs> That's the uh, transphobic newsletter service, right? Exactly, exactly. So the other day I was I tweeted a little complaint about Substack. I'll, I'll read you the tweet. One thing that sucks about Substack is that it doesn't show up in Google results. So if you Google Aruna Kilanani, you don't get Barry Weiss's Substack that broke that story. And if you Google Jesse Single Stalker, you don't get Jude Doyle's Substack that broke that story. Um, did you see that tweet? I did. I <laughs> <laughs> Aruna, the name you mentioned is the person who thinks uh, white people are psychopaths. Right? Yeah, thinks that white people are psychopaths who are also uh, don't eat bread because of our white guilt. You can go back if anybody doesn't know what we're talking about. Go back and listen to two episodes go and all will be clear. So I, I, I tweeted this because I do think that this is a problem. Like there's an SEO problem with Substack because there's lots of good reporting and commentary being done on Substack, but it, oftentimes it's sort of hidden. You just, unless I search specifically like Jesse Single Substack, your work is probably not going to come up. So I tweeted that. And then a couple days ago, I got uh, I got an email from Substack. Um, so, so I'm going to just read you this email. In Barry's case, her post only used the words Aruna Kilanani once. Other times it says AK. There are apparently a couple of computer typing things Subset could do on the back end, but some of the biggest factors here are writers repeating keywords in their posts and the length of time it's been up. So what that means basically is like the reason that Barry's post wasn't coming up when you Googled Aruna Kilanani is because we only uh, use the terms Aruna Kilanani once. So that was like bad SEO on my part and on Barry's part. Here's the part I wanted to read to you. Hilariously, the SEO specialist I asked took the second half of your tweet seriously and also investigated Jude Doyle's SEO for Jesse Single Stalker and actually found more uses of those keywords than there were mentions of Kilanani and Barry's post. <laughs> yeah, so Jesse, I just wanted you to know that there is a group of Substack engineers who who investigated your the stalking allegations against you at uh, Jude Doyle's Substack, and they found them to be true. Yeah, I think Jude... Um... <laughs> Yeah, Jude's very attuned to SEO, I believe. I, I've i pointed this out before. I would just be very bad at stalking. I, this is not false modesty. It's just all the skill. Like, that requires being, like, small and sneaky and able to fit in. I can Perceptive. Perceptive, intelligent. Yeah, I, I basically, I lack all those characteristics. So, um, I, I've tried. You know, it just it hasn't worked out. You know, we can't be good at everything. Okay, Jesse, what podcast is this? This is Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Single. And I'm Katie Herzog. And today, what are we talking about? You know, I could ask you the same question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, today we are going to be talking about some drama at Seattle Pride. Very enjoyable. Very Seattle. We're also going to be talking about a story, an old story. Do you want to explain that real quick? Yeah, we're going to be talking about a story NPR's Code Switch did about a guy named Majdi Wadi last year that uh, has been bugging me for a while and I think bugging you. And, and we're just going to explain why we think this is an example of a bad direction journalism is headed in. And you had a you had a, a name that for this particular segment, didn't you? Microwaved beef. Yes. yes. Single so this is <laughs> so, a year old. We are going to be relitigating a story that has long since passed. The beef is a little bit gray. There's like hair growing on it. But if we pop it in the microwave, <laughs> we should get some, some tasty beef out of this. Okay. But first, we are going to talk about uh, a little incident that happened last week. Yes. We have been uh, – I don't know any – sort of less dramatic way to say this, but our First Amendment rights were stripped from us and thrown in a volcano. So last week, I got an email from a venue in New York, and the venue um, offered us a, a chance to do a live show uh, at their space. So here's what it said. 
Hi, Katie. I book for an NYC venue. We are a hub for smart and innovative entertainment and host a variety of programming from comedy to music to live podcast recordings. Would you be interested in doing a live recording of Blocked or Imported? So I forwarded you this email. Which also included that they'd had some like high profile uh, podcast recordings. Right. Like NPR style podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Podcasts that are much more successful than ours. So I forwarded you the email. But before I forwarded you the email, I Googled the name of the venue and what I saw was that it was a queer venue. So I emailed you and I said, like, like, lol, this is a queer venue. And then you were characteristically stupid and you got excited about it. I did. I thought it was a good sign that uh, they want us. But yes, as soon as you found out it was a queer venue, that was a sign that maybe there would be some um, – this could be a troubled marriage potentially. Right. So I wrote back and I said, thanks for reaching out. How familiar? How familiar are you with our show? And this is what I received in response. This is a long email, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read part of it. Hi, Katie. So I was not actually familiar with your show. I researched the top ranking podcast on Patreon, and your page came up. And then later, after listening to a few episodes, I definitely love some of your points and energy of the show, but I came away from it not being very aware of your politics. We have a very progressive audience and culture, and my feeling is that they may not react as favorably to you as I would hope. While I think you'd run a well-attended show, I do think I may run into problems if I tried to book you here. I sincerely apologize for reaching out without being entirely sure of your content and branding and assuming it was a technology and internet culture-related show. Because I'm having a hard time figuring out your political alignment, I unfortunately have to resend my offer out of cultural fit concerns. I think you're doing something really cool and wish you the best of luck in continuing your project. But again, I apologize for taking up your time. We were canceled. <laughs> this is literally like the government arresting us. There's no daylight between those two scenarios. It's it's just it's funny because like I'm a I'm an actual homosexual. I'm a queer person. Both of us are progressive, and yet as soon as I saw that this was a queer venue, I knew there was no fucking way that, <laughs> that know, they would have us. Yeah, the, it's just like um, yeah, the amount of like purification stuff going on on our side of the aisle. You sort of knew, yeah, and it's like we're obviously being tongue in cheek. They they have a right to book or not book whoever they want. It's just funny the way they phrased it, where it's like not we're gonna not book you because we disagree with you which would be like sort of sort of fine although maybe not the best approach to comedy and live events what's funny is like we can't quite figure you out <laughs> so we're not yeah. gonna book you yeah and also acknowledging that probably the show would sell well but that doesn't matter because this person rightfully knows that if they actually booked us at this venue there would be yes. problems we should say we are in talks with a venue not yet ready a better to, venue a better venue we have been for a while they want us to um hold off on announcing anything but mid-september is looking good for a new york show so if you're planning on getting married or, or other stuff having like a that, baby having a baby just cancel it <laughs> cancel yeah, can cancel that baby Cancel it. Move to New York just so you can be there for our live show. We will not. We will not be shackled. Although we should now. We should now appear on stage, literally chained and and gagged. <laughs> actually, that that would, that would be good. That would work at a queer venue. Actually, <laughs> that, uh, that definitely would. And during Pride. And during Pride. I know. How could they reach out to us during Pride and then cancel us during Pride? Very homophobic. Not to mention Very homophobic. We wish the Bleep Bleep Club the best in their future endeavors. We will not be attending. It was between it was between it was between us and Cumtown. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Cumtown would. You know, they would probably book Cumtown thinking it was some sort of like sex positive. <laughs> show. Get be very surprised. Uh.
Uh, all right. So that was <laughs> one little bit of business. One other thing. Last week, we talked about this uh, online end essay put up by the Nigerian novelist uh, Chimamanga Ngozi Adichie. Uh, she complained about the behavior of two sort of protégés of hers, one of whom is named uh, uh, Akweki Omezi. Um, and, and we had talked about Omezi's uh, transition. They are someone who identifies as non-binary, but they're very female presenting and they were born female. We just talked about some of the complexities of, of saying like they basically said Adichie was trying to kill them or to rile up Nigerians to kill them. And we talked about how that's like, that would be crazy anyway, but it's even more crazy when you just, you, you visibly look to most of the world like a female. Um, I did the research for that segment. One thing I missed that I definitely should have found is. So this is an article uh, uh, Amazie wrote for The Cut, New York Magazine, Transition, My Surgeries Were a Bridge Across Realities, A Spirit Customizing Its Vessel to Reflect Its Nature. You can read it. It is – I found it to be a little bit of a difficult read, but it basically talks about how they got surgeries in part because they believe they were sort of uh, hosting an, an evil spirit. Is there any – that's accurate, right? Hmm. Yeah. I guess this is not, this isn't like a multiple personality sort of thing. This is more. It seems more spiritual. Well, than that. they also later said they had dissociative identity disorder. Uh, uh, so, okay, so that which is basically multiple personality just rebranded. Yeah. So all of which is to say, I, I left out. You know, I, it would obviously be unfair to be like this person just sort of announced a transition and, and didn't do anything medical because they did. But it's just it's a complicated situation that I, I think involves some mental health stuff and i guess people can debate whether uh one of the points there was some frustration that insurance wouldn't cover their surgery their elective surgery um i think it was basically a partial hysterectomy uh to prevent this evil spirit from doing stuff it's like a weird story there's also an article in unheard about the intersection of mental health with these online fights i'll just include links to both of those but i this is context we should have included in the segment it's interesting to me that somebody could go to a therapist complaining of having a demon living inside of them and the response to a therapist would be like, let's cut the demon out rather than like, let's get you some like deep fucking time to do some real work here. Yeah, I, I think if you – like it's it's unclear what they told to different therapists and surgeons because I think they understood some surgeons would like turn them down. Um, you know, I just – I – when you're talking about major medical procedures, I just I, – I wish this wasn't a conversation where everyone's brain sh- turned off as soon as you mentioned gender. I, I think this like – this is someone who has some issues and I think a humane approach to medicine is to just like make sure people are of sound mind. Uh, I think at the end of the day, adults are going to do what they want to do, especially if they have the money. But it's – I found it to be a disturbing story. I mean that that is true but there are – I mean lots of people have made this point before but we do treat body – dysmorphia and body dysphoria in very different ways. So if somebody goes to a surgeon and says, I need you to cut my leg off because I identify as a one-legged person. And this is a thing that happens. People do have these psychological conditions that like a, a healthy limb causes them lots of distress. The response to that is not usually to cut off the limb. Yeah. Although I think some surgeons would do it. And I yeah. don't you think if someone had like been living that way for years and had tried other, I'm not saying this should be uh, directly analogous to, to, gender related surgeries but i i could see a point where i'd be cool with someone's leg being cut off if they really couldn't live a decent life otherwise i mean what if there's just no other option yeah i mean if i guess if that's the only, only solution maybe that's the uh the humane thing to do is to cut off the the healthy leg 
I mean, I'm, I'm sure that they're like bioethicists would, would have something to say about this. And hospitals do oftentimes, they have ethical boards who, who yeah. you know, and who grapple with questions like this. I do not like what I see when I look in the mirror. So I'm going to have facial nullification surgery. I think that's a great idea. And frankly, it would be good for the podcast. I just want to be blank. <laughs> <laughs> just a blank. Just how many holes should I leave in my face? One. We need one for me to for the microphone, <laughs> one to talk to me. Or you should get you should get plastic surgery to look like Anna from Red Scare, and then we'll do way better on Patreon. Uh, why don't we each get? Plastic surgery to look like the other person. <laughs> oh God, my life is hard enough already. <laughs> I want to get I want to get creepy reply guys complimenting <laughs> me on how good my skin looks. You know, uh, we can get some freckle tattoos for you. Do you ever get weird DM as like a visible lesbian? Are there? Do you ever get creepy DMs from men, or do they just know not to bother? If my DMs were open, I think that the rate of uh, of creepy DMs would go up much higher. But my DMs were closed, so I sort of preempted that problem for myself. Guys, my DMs are wide open as long as we're as long as we're mutual <laughs> followers, and I'm not getting any creepy ones. So please step it up. Please send Jesse dick pics. All right, what's uh, tell me about all this this pride stuff in Seattle? Yes. So Seattle is, as usual, celebrating Pride Month by being very dramatic. So there is an organization in Seattle called Trans, the Trans Women of Color Solidarity Network. They were planning, are planning for the second year in a row to hold a Pride event at a city park in Seattle. The, the Pride event is called Taking Black Pride. And I'll read you a little bit from the description on the website. Taking Black Pride is about lifting the voices, narratives, and contributions of Black, queer, and trans voices. It's about centering who we are and what we need to feel empowered, joyful, and heard. And then, this is what gets to the controversial part. All are free to attend. However, this is a Black and Brown, queer, trans-centered, prioritized, valued event. White allies and accomplices are welcome to attend, but will be charged a $10 to $50 reparations fee that will be used to keep this event free of cost for Black and Brown, trans, and queer community. So this is the second year in a row that they're going to have this reparations uh, fee for for white people. They don't say if they're going to have like color swatches or a DNA test to prove your ethnicity at the door. I just assume that they will. This is sponsored by Pantone. Um, <laughs> Um, and uh, last year didn't make much of a stir, probably because last year was also this was in the midst of COVID. It was in the midst of like of of Seattle going crazy with with post George Floyd shit, chop chaz. So there was just like more shit going on. Um, but this year, this has made a lot of news. And the reason this has become a story is because organizers of another Pride event, so there's a, an event called Capitol Hill Pride. Capitol Hill is the historically gay neighborhood in Seattle. Every year, there's like the big Pride Parade and, and big events, and then there's like smaller neighborhood ones. And so this is a, like the Capitol Hill neighborhood Pride. So the organizers of the Capitol Hill Pride event complained about this reparations fee. And one of the groups that they complained to was the Seattle Human Rights Commission. The Seattle Human Rights Commission is it's uh, it's not a government agency, so it's city funded, but it's not an agency. But it does it works with the city, the city of Seattle. Like they have a .gov email address. It's a it's a city a, a city I don't know institution city commission. So on June seventeenth, the Seattle Human Rights Commission posted a letter they received uh, from the organizers of the Capitol Hill Pride event. So I'll read you this letter, dear City of Seattle. 
It has come to our attention that an event called Taking Black Pride at the Jimi Hendrix Public Park June 26 is charging whites only admission as reparations. We consider this reverse discrimination in its worst form, and we feel we are being attacked for not supporting due to disparaging and hostile emails. Please review this event's stated admissions policy as we feel this event is violating Seattle, King County, state, and federal equality laws. Additionally, we would like you to investigate the event as a possible ethics and elections violation as Taking Black Pride is hosted by Nikki Etienne, a campaign manager for Nikita Oliver, who just recently dropped out of our event, Capitol Hill Pride, over non-support of Take of Take Black Pride. Nikita Oliver ran for mayor. Uh, she went to law school. I don't know if she ever passed the bar, but she's a, like a beat poet, activist, uh, running for, I believe, city council again this year. And she's very popular um, among activist activist uh in seattle okay so this city commission takes that letter and posts it on instagram or posts it on social media posts it on twitter posts it on facebook let's just pause there for a second they took a complaint written by two citizens of the city and they posted it on their social media do they post it in like a disparaging way? So here's the text on on Twitter. Capitol Hill Pride sent us this note. And then they finish it. They follow it up with their response to the note. It reads, thank you for reaching out to the Human Rights Commission and the NAACP, respectively. While we appreciate your thinking of us to help with this issue, we must unfortunately advise you to advance this issue without the participation of the commission. The, new, the unique nature of your situation does not, in fact, violate any of your human rights, as stated in the UN, the UN Declaration of Human Rights, which is the charter by which our commission operates. If you feel we have reached the conclusion in error, we encourage you, encourage you to read the declaration and respond with the specific violations of your human rights uh, and being asked to pay for the event. Furthermore, we would like to urge you to examine the very real social dynamics and ramifications of this issue. Black trans and queer people are among the most marginalized and persecuted peoples within the LGBTQIA2S plus community. The S is for straight. They often face shame not only from the cis heteronormative community, but within the queer community at large as well. In making the event free for black queer community, the organizers of this event are extending a courtesy so rarely extended by providing a free and safe space to express joy, share story, and be in community. We would like to recommend, if possible, that you educate yourself on the harm it may cause Seattle's BIPOC community in your pursuit of a free ticket to an event that is not expressly meant for you and your entertainment. If you still take issue with this and would resonate better with a reason explained from a white or white passing member of the queer community, we would be happy to connect you with a number of allies. Again, thanks for reaching out to the City of Seattle's Human Rights Commission. Please enjoy the summer and we wish you a happy pride. And then so they posted that. It's fucked up. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've never because New York City has one of these, too. I don't I've never quite understood what these human rights commission. They seem to exist in like sort of a legal gray zone. I mean, they can't obviously can't like make laws, but they have like a, a pseudo government role. Yeah. Like they advise the city on human on human rights issues. That's just like pretty inappropriate and very like too online to take a complaint, whatever the merits of it, and just like throw it up online for um for mockery. That's really weird. And also educate yourself. Educate and, like, yourself. Yeah. Educate yourself. And we'll we'll hook you we'll hook you up with some white queers who can educate you, some good white allies who can educate you. Um one thing I would like to note here is that it is this is almost certainly illegal. This event is on city property. You cannot charge people based on the color of their skin at an event on city property. I reached out to the ACLU to, of Washington State to see what uh if they would weigh in on this. Surprise, surprise, Jesse, they did not get back to me. <laughs> 
So after this, uh, Lorena Gonzalez, who is the city, current city council president, also running for mayor, I'd say she has a high likelihood of winning. She also responded on Twitter. She says, I will no longer be attending Capitol Hill Pride after reading their letter to the Seattle Human Rights Commission. After a year that has taken an unbelievable toll on all our communities, I was looking forward to this opportunity to celebrate Pride in person. However, I simply cannot support an organization that is trying to stop black people and the LGBTQ plus community from celebrating Pride in the manner that they choose. The manner that they choose, which is almost certainly illegal this is a very seattle story katie almost too seattle <laughs> and so this has become so a bunch of people have dropped out besides lorena gonzalez capitol hill pride lost a bunch of a bunch of sponsors and I, like i can see that there is this sort of carony aspect of like writing the writing the human rights commission because you have a complaint about this other organization doing this thing but the whole thing is just like this has totally fallen mostly down tribal lines where this became a national news story the new york post covered it all of these tabloids covered it because the story to them is that there's a that there's a, a group in Seattle charging white people fifty dollars to attend their fucking event. Locally, the story is much different. Locally, people like Lorena Gonzalez and others are, are in the Seattle Human Rights Commission. They're like they're heroes now for standing up for these like poor beleaguered trans women. It's all very um, tiring. Like if you're opposed to to different prices for different races, that that's like so inexcusable. You can't be associated with someone who holds that view. It just gets very uh, – the circular firing squad feels sort of endless. Right. So if now – if you go to the Taking Black Seattle uh, page on the official like Pride website, there's a message from Seattle Pride. It says, this is not a Seattle Pride event. I'm sure this is because they've gotten complaints about it. And then it also says, we highly recommend an article in The Atlantic entitled The Case for Reparations by ta Coates and a policy brief by the Brookings Institute and looking into the difference between equality, everyone having the same thing regardless of their needs, and equity, the fair treatment, access, opportunity, and advancement for all people, while at the same time striving to identify and eliminate barriers that have presented the full participation in some groups. So basically what they're also saying is educate yourself. If memory serves, Ta-Nehisi Coates' article uh, culminated in a call for events on city property <laughs> to charge different rates for different rates. That's what he meant by reparations. Yeah, you bring your vaccine card and also your 23andMe results. <laughs> um, so there's this funny parallel. So a couple years ago, the University of Washington College Republicans held what they called an affirmative action bake sale in which they charge people depending on their race. So like for a cookie, like white people would maybe pay a dollar, black people would pay 50 cents, Native Americans it would be free. And this caused such – people were so angry about this uh, because they were doing it to troll, obviously. Right, right. Um, but it's essentially the same thing. I was sort of surprised that liberals were so angry about this at the time that it happened because it's like, isn't this what you want? This is equity. Yeah. They're doing exactly what you yeah. want. It's just because they're doing it to troll you. You're pissed about it. But this is basically the same shit and now everybody's defending it. Yeah. Uh, I just don't want to go to Seattle, Katie. Don't make me ever go there. I don't want to go to Seattle. I fucking live here. <laughs> live across the water from it. Um, Dude. Okay, so that's where things are now. It's that, that statement's up on the website? Yeah, that statement's up at the website. The event should be on Saturday. It's also supposed to be 100 degrees on Saturday, so we'll see how many people actually attend. I, I think, you know, like the uh, Trans Women of Color Solidarity Network, they're saying that they're getting threats. They've posted some screenshots on, on Instagram. I think that's probably true. This has become a national story at this point, um, which is, you know, unfortunate and too bad. But also, like, how did we get to a place where it is acceptable to charge people different rates based on their skin color? It's not the best. It's not great. 
I mean, for that's the thing is like, like a lot of people, it is, you know, like, I'm sure that my former colleagues at The Stranger think that this is a great idea. Yeah. Um, I mean, we do have that system in place for our Patreon, so we probably can't talk shit too much. <laughs> Jews pay more. <laughs> because you can. Too soon. Um, anything else on this, again, just loathsome Seattle story? No, but I assume I'll be seeing you at the event on Saturday? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly out there. I'm super, I'm speaking, actually. <laughs> You're the Grand Marshal. All right, we'll be we'll be back in a minute. Jesse, how's your bottom feeling right now? Like my bottom half? Well, consider your entire bottom half is an ass yes, but I was actually asking how your butt is feeling. That is a very normal question. Since you asked, summertime is fast approaching, and my butt feels like a Florida swamp. I thought so, which is exactly why I recommend you spend some time with the Hello Tushy 3.0 Modern Bidet Attachment. It's like a little shower for your bottom. That's right. Your mind and body might be filthy, but the Hello Tushy 3.0 will clean your butt like a champ. Plus, it's easy to install, simple to use, and by attaching to your existing toilet, if you have one, there's no electricity or extra plumbing needed. You can even use this thing when it's 100 degrees outside and the power grid fails. Defeat swamp ass. Go to hellotushy.com slash barpod to get 10% off plus free shipping on your Hello Tushy 3.0. This is a special offer for our listeners at hellotushy.com slash barpod for 10% off. That is hellotushy.com slash barpod. All right, just some uh, housekeeping before we get to the second segment. As always, you can reach out to us at blockedandreportedpodcast at gmail.com. We have a subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash blockedandreported. All your merch needs can be satisfied and satisfied vigorously, I would say, at barpod.org. Most importantly, Katie, do we not have one of the most incredible premium subscription programs in the podcast world? You know, I read online that it was actually a top subscription program. (laughs) If you go to patreon.com slash blocked and reported and join us for just $5 a month, you can get three extra episodes of this very podcast every month. You get ad-free episodes and lots of other good shit. That is just $5 a month unless you're Asian, in which case it's (laughs) $5.07 a month. We got to even things out, Katie. That's only fair. Okay. So uh, we got we decided to finally do this this upcoming segment uh, because uh, – I guess because of Barry Weiss technically, right? Right. So Barry Weiss launched her new podcast a couple weeks ago. It's called Honestly with Barry Weiss. And her first interview was with a guy named uh, Majid Wadi. Majid Wadi? How do you pronounce Majdi-wadi. it? Majdi Wadi. Majdi Wadi. Yes. Okay. So we talked about him, I think, in a patrons-only episode about a year ago. I'm going to give the background on this. We'll also include a link to the patrons-only version, uh, as if you didn't already have enough incentive to become a member. So Majdiwadi is sort of like a paradigmatic immigrant success story. He's an entrepreneur, uh, Palestinian by birth, by ethnicity. He was born and raised in Kuwait. He had no way of formalizing his status, getting work papers, was discriminated against, had to move to Jordan. From Jordan, he he came to the States and joined some family had in Minnesota. He built a very successful Middle Eastern food brand called uh, Holy Land Brand. Uh, hummus, baba ganoush, all sorts of stuff. They did catering. They got their products into places like Target and Costco. Last year, not out. Have you had it? I have not. Have you? Mm-mm, but I want to. Yeah, we should. Uh, they should send us some in exchange for positive comments. <laughs> that's only fair. That's usually that's like, yeah, that's just so people know. Full disclosure: we only cover people positively because they have given us something. Tan- that's like sort of our operating premise, right? Yeah, this podcast is sponsored by Hummus. <laughs> just Hummus in general. Um, so. 
Not long after George Floyd was killed, these old social media posts from Leon Wadi, his daughter, were resurfaced. Uh, they were very ugly. They were very racist. Here are a few examples. Top three races you wish to eliminate. Ready, go. Jews. Jews, blacks, <laughs> and the fat. <laughs> were, you answering, were you thinking I was asking you that question and you just said Jews? Oh, wait. Shit. Was that rhetorical? <laughs> <laughs> she said, top three races you wish to eliminate. Ready, go. Jews, blacks, and the fats. I am two of those, so I am offended by that. <laughs> I'm a fat black guy. Uh, hashtag, if I was president, I'd finish off what Hitler started and rule the world. She also did an Instagram post with a monkey. Made friends with this little N-word today. She did not say N-word. She said the word. These were all, they started in 2012 and then a few years after that. These were when she was a teenager. She was a teenager posting very edgelord stuff um, and she was 15 yeah i think well i think there was a range maybe 15 and the, the oldest she was 16 or 17 potentially but yes yeah, somewhere in there some of them she was about 15 she was a very young kid she was also um i mean this has been pointed out in some of the coverage she was like the only muslim girl in a mostly white school she had some mental health problems Again, it gets, she was just trying to fit in with the whites. Exactly, she's trying to be as racist as white people. It's it. I think these days it's weird that I just felt an urge to be like, I'm not excusing it, but like, it's a 15 year old, so I sort of am excusing it because she's fucking 15, and I don't know. I, I, you know what? I think that she was actually a client of Aruna Kilanani, and she was just <laughs> expressing her brown rage. Exactly. Um, Okay, so because of these, there's an immediate fierce, just like, this drops a bomb on Holy Land brands. Uh, the store's leases canceled, or maybe multiple leases, major brands. And Jesse, do we know how these came to light? I think just some, some activist type posted them, I believe. They just sort of popped up on uh, Twitter, Instagram. Right, right after the death of George Floyd. I believe that she had posted something like supportive of the protest she, and, and then they were – Yes. As Barry's uh, podcast explained, she had actually been in the streets protesting at, at Black Lives Matter protests because, again, the racist edgelord stuff you post at 15 does not necessarily dictate the rest of your life. does not seem like a point uh, we should have to make. But So the store, I believe, lost all but one of its locations. Major brands dropped them. Millions of dollars in lost uh, – Business, Wadi, Majdi Wadi, again, this is Leanne's dad, and the, the head of the business had to lay off dozens of people. These are mostly minority workers. Um, he also fired her immediately. He fired her immediately, fired his own daughter just to show how serious he was about this. Okay. Enter NPR. Uh, enter NPR is never a happy, <laughs> a happy sentence. Mm -hmm. So Code Switch, which is one of their top rated podcasts and, and is a podcast basically about race, they arrive on the scene uh, with an episode called Unholy Land, an Arab Muslim reckoning with racism. Um, uh, Co-hosts Gene Denby and Shireen Marisol Miraji tell the story of, of basically the Majdiwadi situation. And um, I mean, we're, we're going to get into some some segments, but but what jumped out at you about, about this whole episode? There was a lot. So I re-listened to it today and and they seem incredibly skeptical of Majdi Wadi. They think that his attempts to repair this damage are just PR, basically, which is, you know, I, I think a fair thing to question. But they, like, they, there's no, like, good faith assumptions on their part. They seem to think, like, the only reason this guy, uh, as we will hear, he does things like reach out to a prominent member of the Black Muslim community, um, that he is just trying to escape from this thing that his daughter did. Yeah, 
I mean, that's part of it. But to me, the bigger thing is like the, the podcast never the entire assumption here is that he did something wrong and that he and that he has to pay a price for it. And I understand, of course, he's a businessman. He He's going to attempt to sort of make things right with the community. That's understandable when you've lost millions of dollars in business. But th- the way the guys from Code Switch approach this, you would really think Majdiwadi was guilty of something. And I think that's sort of a ridiculous assumption. That's not like. Uh, the right way to approach an issue like this. He, there's no evidence he himself did anything wrong, but as we'll see, they sort of swoop in and try to find him guilty of something. So now Leanne's dad, Majdiwadi, is fighting to save his family's reputation and their business. And he says he wants to make amends. And to help him do all that, he called up a black Muslim leader in Minneapolis, Imam Makram El-Amin. I'll say what he said. He called me because he respects my family. He called me because we are one of the prominent African-American Muslim families in this city, in this state. You know, he called me because he needed to. I called him. I said, you know, you're busy. I need to see you. There is a situation here and I need your help, not help to bail me. And I said, Brother Makram, I'm here to learn. Tell me what to do. So, is there a path to redemption for Majdiwadi once this kind of damage has been done? And is it the job of a black man to guide Majdiwadi to that path? So, I mean, a couple things jump out. What is this framing of, like, redemption? What 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 is he redeeming? His daughter as a teenager did horrible edgelord posts. But then I, I was almost more bothered by this idea that is it a black man's job? One thing religious communities do is they look out for one another. Like it's not the epi- one of the few interesting things about the episode is it does talk about like black Arab relations among Muslims, like American black Muslims versus sort of recent immigrant Muslims. That stuff's interesting. But at the end of the day, isn't that weird to just like be like, oh, that's just a black man. He's asking for help. It's like, no, that is a, a leader from his own religious community, which that's sort of what you do in trouble. You seek help from others in your community, right? Right. And it seems like this is probably not the right figure to choose because, uh, Jesse, I'm not sure if this is in one of the clips that you pulled, but, um, he later, he essentially tries to shake the guy down for a massive donation. It's crazy. He, he later basically says his help is contingent on Wadi, who at this time is like bleeding financially, donating a lot of money to his nonprofit, building a store in his neighborhood that the Muslim religious leaders, uh, it, it comes across as a shakedown. And there is basically no skepticism toward that shakedown of a dude whose life is on the verge of collapse, whereas every word Majdiwadi says is is sort of picked over for wrong things. Right. It's sort of crazy. So the, the reporter on the story is Leila Fadl, and then she's in conversation with the host of the show, Jean Denby and Shereen Mary Salmaraji. And none of them ever stop and say, like, wait a second, he's making this, like, forgiveness contingent on a massive donation. This is bribery or blackmail. Um, and they're just, yeah, as you mentioned, they're just, like, totally uh, credulous. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just a very sort of differential level of skepticism uh, exhibited toward uh, Wadi versus everyone else. All right, let's uh, let's go to the next clip. This is our he walks bakery. me into the bakery. We have the African bread, we have the Iranian bread, we have the Belgian bread, we have the Iraqi bread, we have the Somalian bread, we have the Ethiopian East African bread. We have bread from all over the world. 
So all this, it's in jeopardy because of his daughter Leanne's social media posts. This is now the only location of Holy Land. They were evicted from one, they closed two others, shut down their hummus factory after losing contracts with places like Costco. There's a boycott campaign. The family has received death threats. And so far, he says they've lost millions of dollars, laid off dozens of people, mostly immigrants, that work for the business. One of the hardest days of my life was the other day when I have to meet with my factory employees, 28 families, and tell them, I'm really sorry I'm shutting down my factory. You gotta go home. I mean, is this is how we want to solve the problem? By punishing other people? That's hard to hear. Like... Is this going overboard? Does the punishment fit the crime? I'm sure people listening are wondering about that too. Yeah. Although, although we have to say those social media posts from Leanne were horrific. And we just scratched the surface with the ones we played. They, they were definitely terrible. Yeah. That's like, that's morally grotesque, right? I mean, social media posts. Written by a 15-year-old. Dozens of layoffs. Compared to dozens of people losing their jobs in the midst of a pandemic. What kind of, like, brainworm do you need to, rec- like, produce a- But Je- Jesse, Jesse, they were really bad. <laughs> they were really bad. The tweets were, the tweets were really bad. Also, she said shit about Jews. That just doesn't come up once throughout, like, the rest of the show. That's just it. It's just like- Well, that goes back to historic, you know, Palestine, Israel, it's fine. <laughs> I-, I just- I- As a Muslim, let me explain this to you. <laughs> They pre- Thanks a lot, Siraj. We're going to be dealing with Katie's Muslim <laughs> for the rest of the fucking... Uh, the, just listen to that. Listen to someone be like, yep, that's a reasonable thing to say. Like, well, on the one hand, on the other hand, it's just it is a really warped and distorted moral universe being treated as normal. I will say the first part of that clip where he's just listing different uh, types of bread was like porn for me. And people think that you're white. <laughs> I just want like asthma audio of Majdiwadi listing different <laughs> kinds of bread as I drift off to sleep. Asthma? Isn't it ASMR? ASMR. Do people actually say asthma? Asmore. Asmore, yeah. Yeah, okay. Let's go to the next one. Doesn't want this to be what his family's remembered for. This is not the legacy that I want to leave behind me as a racist or, or a father that who raised a racist. As I told you, there is two options around it. It's just to make hire the best PR company in the world. By the way, there is a PR woman in the room with us. Wait, so he did hire a PR company? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. <laughs> he hired the, the guy whose life is on the, uh, the fucking side of the toilet about to fall in hired a PR company. What a dick. It's so fucking condescending. Of course he hired a fucking PR company. His business is failing. In a world where NPR exists, how could you not hire a PR company? Someone's <laughs> going to fly in to just to try to fuck you over? I mean, I found that so obnoxious, man. The one, the one uh, piece of evidence, I forgot to mention this. We should mention it. Is, is one of Leanne Waddy's posts had like hashtag ship my family says. But there was like uh, associated with racism. But there was like cousins. There's like it, I think it's sort of a sprawling family. I just want to reiterate. There is nothing linking Majdi Waddy himself to any wrongdoing. And that is like – it's just sort of like you feel your soul rising out of your body as you listen to this episode of Code Switch because they just ignore that fact that the dude didn't actually do anything wrong and isn't even accused of doing anything wrong. I mean, that's the thing that worries me about this is I don't think most NPR listeners are having the same reaction that you and I have it, are having. I think a lot of them are who like are regular listeners to Code Switch are saying like, yeah, of course, the guy's racist, his daughter's racist, and he should be punished for this. 
Now, I just said Maj Wadi didn't do anything wrong. Uh, I Maybe I w- it was a little premature. Let's listen to this next clip, but make sure you're sitting down because it's pretty freaking shocking. I guess I'm I'm still not clear up to this point about what exactly Majdiwadi is determined to do. Right. Yeah, that's well, that's probably because it feels like he's still figuring this out in real time. Hmm. I don't think he was clear about what he should do. And it's really why he called on Makram El Amin. I mean, this is a guy who didn't have a Twitter account or know the term anti-blackness until all this went down. Oh. He said things like, why can black people call him the N-word in a nice way and he can't say it back? Oof. When you call me that name, I think it's okay to call you that name. And then he said more than once that it was the responsibility of African-Americans to reach out to Arab immigrants like him and help them understand anti-blackness. I believe that the African-American also dropped the ball. Where? Not by not fighting enough for their rights. They've been fighting for their rights for hundreds of years, but not reaching to us and educating us. Look, culture differences is something that we have to educate ourselves with each other. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. This is going to be real rocky. Mm. Real, real rocky. (laughs) Yeah, you know, he has been here for decades. So, you know, I said said to him, you've been here 30 years. You should know something about this. But he told me, look, I'm a Palestinian immigrant who's had to teach people about my cause as a person with no homeland. And then after Mm 9-11, about Islam, when he and his family were targeted for their faith, their ethnicity. So in his mind... Other communities should do that for him. Katie, these fucking Palestinian immigrants coming here, taking our jobs, refusing to assimilate into our college-educated, anti-racist American lifestyle. I take back everything what I said. I think this guy should be arrested. Dude, is his hummus even vegan? <laughs> this like these are these are again college-educated radio hosts shitting on a Palestinian immigrant who somehow did not pick up the right way to talk about race as as uh, handed down to us by, like, basically college professors. I mean... It, like, sometime in, like, the past 10 years. It's, it's just... I find it gross. I really do find it gross. And to not understand why it might be the case that a Palestinian coming here, building a business, hanging out with other Palestinians, doesn't know exactly the right racial etiquette when it comes to anti-black racism. I mean, it's like the hosts are sort of pretending to be dumb just so they can be mad at this guy and make him seem shittier than he is. Well, it also, it does this thing that we've talked about on the podcast before because we observe it all the time, which is mapping our own sort of like white, black, racial narrative onto other cultures and they there as you mentioned like there are some interesting parts in the show where they do get into tensions between uh between you know black people and and arabs in various different cities this is a real thing that exists as a muslim i could tell you my own experience as a white muslim being continually discriminated against but they're still doing this thing where they just expect everybody to have their own exactly like hyper educated upper middle class perspective on these things. And, and, and they have no grace for people who might not have gotten the fucking memo. We're, we're not going to include like every outrageous uh, clip from the show, but elsewhere in the episode, they find out from talking to him that he um, in the part of the world he's from, there's basically a word for black people in sort of slang Arabic that basically translate to slave. They treat this as further evidence that that he's got some work to do to become a better person because he just is from a part of the world where that's the word and he didn't realize it was offensive. So again, it's just like this real cultural flattening, I feel like. Absolutely. All right. Next clip. Which I have to say, I feel some type of way about this expectation that Makram Alameen, this black Muslim leader we're talking about, is just going to drop everything 
and teach him. Teach me how to do better. Yeah, that wasn't lost on Elamine. This crisis, it's the first time Wendy had ever been to his house. And keeping Hmm. the door open, it wasn't a decision he came to lightly. He hasn't forgiven. But he is willing to help with a path to redemption because he told me mercy, redemption, it's what his faith teaches, something we all will seek at some point. But no one gets redemption for nothing. So his faith teaches, just to be clear, that if someone's kid does something as a teenager, that sin was really done by the father, and then the father has to pay money, sort of indulgences to wash away the sin. Do I have that right? You know, I'm just, I'm a recent convert, and I haven't gotten to that <laughs> lesson in my, what's, it's not called the Bible, what's it called? Um, the Quran. The, yeah, the Quran. My Quran study class hasn't reached that chapter yet, but I will get back to you next week. Let's just, let's just jump straight into what those actual demands were. Bring that wonderful Benzamata over here. Train people to hire from here. Do some profit sharing with your employees from over here. Let it become a co-op. The better you do, the the community benefits from here. That's different. That's game changing. That's game changing. That says more than I'm sorry. Then he wants Wendy to push to have real conversations about how to combat anti-blackness within the Arab community where he's had a stellar reputation. Many of them look at him in a sense of pride. Like, hey, this is, this is our guy. You know, I mean, he's, you know, he, he's the American dream. But the key, Elamine tells me, is once Wedi does use his money, his social capital. Don't try to take credit for it. It just, look, it, in a perfect world, everyone would be involved in like charitable good and trying to reduce hatred. But it just, it feels like a shakedown. This dude is like really in the worst crisis of his professional life. And this other guy is, is putting very strict conditions on offering his help. And they make clear elsewhere in the episode that he's asking for a significant sum. And the episode ends with um, Wadi having not yet uh, decided whether or not to sign this sort of term sheet uh, that, that the religious leader put out for him. It's, can you imagine this? I mean, it's, and it's not like this is an actual, like, get out of jail free card. Like, you're going to give this guy a bunch of money, and then all of a sudden, you're going to get your contracts back with Costco. You'll get to rehire all these people. This is just, it's purely symbolic, and it wouldn't actually probably do anything to help his cause. Yeah. So, I, I think the reason this jumped out at me is this came out at, you and I both think that media has gotten a lot worse during this so-called reckoning. That's not that there's no good stuff, but there's also – there's been a an uptick in just sort of what feels like moralizing and what feels like a lack of intellectual curiosity. And you know, this episode wasn't all bad. Like I said, there was some, to me, interesting reporting on tensions in these communities. And it's actually the same thing in, in my part of Brooklyn. A lot of the bodegas are run by like – by Arab guys, by immigrants, and there is some tension – between black people and Arab people. And it's it's interesting and bad. So it's like, that's all perfectly fine stuff to report on. It really seemed like the point of this episode, though, was to shame Majdi Wadi for something his daughter did. And I don't know, like, it also pisses me off. I know we shouldn't be identitarians, but a show like this does have a pretty big white audience. It's like white people learning how to be better allies. And just to imagine them being like, oh, that's so cringe that Majdi Wadi didn't know who can say the N-word and why. Like, it sort of pissed me off. Yeah, it would be interesting to go back now and see how they feel about this reporting because it was done right after the George Floyd, uh, the death of George Floyd, and intentions were, I think, higher than they are now. Um, So I wonder if if the reporters themselves have have, uh, changed their minds on this at all. Yeah, I I did have an email address from Majdi Wadi. I reached out a couple days ago. I didn't hear back. If I do hear back, I'll add it to the show notes or do an update or something. I will say one interesting thing, and I asked him about this, but again, he didn't, he didn't write back. In Barry Weiss's show, she mentions that, um, 
I can't remember if she mentions this or he mentions it. His family had had a longstanding sort of tradition of helping Sudanese refugees in Africa. And and it sounded like they had a pretty established track record of, of charitable good, which to me, that would definitely bear on the question of whether he's just suddenly now, for opportunistic reasons, trying to play himself off as a good guy. There isn't any mention of that in the Code Switch episode. So I'm curious whether he told them about that and they cut it out or if it just didn't come up. But it, I don't know. If, if Barry Weiss was able to find out about that and include it as relevant, which it is, it seems like NPR should have been able to. You know, it's interesting to listen to the Barry Weiss interview with him and listen to the Code Switch interview with him in sort of quick succession. And the way that they treat their subjects is so different. Barry comes at it with sympathy and they come at it with skepticism. Um, which one do you think was more effective at actually like getting to the heart of what was going on with this guy and his family? Yeah, I mean, obviously... I think I, I think Barry's was. I mean, uh, one complicating factor here is that Majdi Wadi, I guess, quickly realized that he had to do some sort of gesture. So I guess by reaching out to the religious leader, he then opens up the door to people being like, oh, well, you've admitted you did something wrong. But like if you're a professional reporter, you just should be able to look at this in a more – uh, there should be some moral clarity to your approach to it. You should understand that's just because a fucking teenager does something doesn't reflect poorly on her dad or mean he should be punished. I wonder what it would have happened if he had just said like, you know, my daughter did this. This was not – I didn't do this. And then that was it. Like would that have been ultimately better for him or worse for him than, than reaching out to, to, uh, to a member of the black Muslim community? It's an interesting question. I think at the moment it likely would have been worse because he had like people – According to the Weiss podcast, like filming his locations and like harassing. Yeah, they had to like flee their home. Yeah, it got it got really bad. And um I don't know, man. I I think the more journalists act like sort of like the guardians of morality and sort of almost religious police, the the worse we look as an industry. And obviously in opinion journalism, you have some license to do that. Part of what we do is judge. I just thought this was like a really bizarre episode of Code Switch, and I uh, I wanted to microwave this beef because I still feel uh, mad about it. You know who this makes me really mad at? God? Costco. <laughs> yeah, well, it's true. Costco and, and Target, I think, both drop. Yeah. That's just fucking cowardly. And the, the fucking location dropping from the lease because of the daughter's racist. It's crazy. Years ago. Yeah. I mean, these companies, like, don't have to do this. You don't have to take a hand. And it also, like... We shouldn't forget that these – that like just how heated things were over those weeks last year. Um, it was weird. Shit was weird. Very bizarre moment in, our, in, a, in American history. N- new podcasts were being launched and all <laughs> kinds of weird stuff. That's what people are going to remember from that era is the, the birth of Blockchain reported. Um, exactly. If we ever do – if this live event does come through, we should just have uh, the catering be all Holy Land Foods. Yes, yes. I do. I'm going to order some. This I'm looking at the website right now. It looks very good. Anything else – do we have anything else for our all-white people critique of <laughs> Hey, I'm a Muslim, Jesse. You're a white Muslim. It's totally different. I'm like a Bosnian. Yeah, one of those. Uh, anything else, Katie? I think that's it for this week. This has been Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Single, and remember – The stain of a racist Instagram post extends three generations. And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember to bring your family tree, DNA results, and paint swatches to Seattle Pride.